Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We would love for you to join in our conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you have a question, email or text us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. Now here's your host, pastor, author, and Bible teacher, Scott Richards, along with his right-hand man, Sean Richards. Well, a very good afternoon, morning, or evening to you. Welcome to this edition of A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope, for those of you coming across our broadcast for the very first time, is our daily journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time, and that's where you become an essential part of the proceedings here. If you've got a question about the Bible, what the Bible has to say about current events, uh, maybe digging deeper into a passage or two from the Word of God that's eluded your understanding, maybe uh, you've been asked a tough question about the uh, Christian faith. Maybe you have got some tough questions percolating in the back of your mind about what faith in Jesus is all about, the reliability of the Bible, what the Bible has to say about controversial subjects. We'll be more than happy to tackle those as the broadcast unfolds, but we can't go really any farther in the broadcast till we hear from you. And so uh, get online and uh, allow us to be able to uh, answer those questions that are uh, front and center in your own understanding of God's Word. Uh, You can do that through a number of different avenues. Uh, Sean, how can people get their questions to us? Well, if you are joining us online, our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, will be able to not only receive but interact with your questions live from 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time or Pacific, if we're void of daylight savings, every single weekday. Note as well, if you want to join with us, again, C-A-L-V-A-R-Y, ChristianFellowship.com, you'll be sent to our main ministry media meeting page. If you click on the Watch Live tab that is in the purple bar at the top of the screen, you'll be able to engage with us wherever you are able to. Also note as well, if you want to email us on a later date, if you're, say, joining us on Reach Radio and want to send your questions in the moment that you get home, you can contact us through that means. That was, again, questions, plural, F-O-R-Hope at gmail.com. And if you want clarification on spelling, nice spelled out for you, or you don't have to keep up with my voice, that will be in a bar at the bottom of the screen, both on our social media site and our website. You'll be able to send us your questions there. And we encourage you to use it if maybe we received your question but didn't get the time to go through it, pertaining that it was a sincere Bible question. Those are the three standards for the questions that you send in. Is it sincere? Is it about the Bible? And is it in the form of a question? We appreciate appreciate (laughs) comments when we also appreciate engagement, but we want to make sure that uh, we're not just, you know, echoing back statements made that are popular or maybe not so much. If you have a question, we'll clarify it from as much of a biblical perspective as the Spirit equips us. But note that that is the goal, is make sure it's focused on the Bible. It is a form in the form of a question, and it is sincere. Note that doesn't disqualify people who aren't Christians from listening or engaging with us on the broadcast, but note that that standard will be upheld if we sense that this is getting a little heated. Note as well, if you want to join us on social media, YouTube is a reason for hope. Facebook is Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you like or subscribe to us there, you'll be notified when we are going live in your respective time zone. But we want to encourage you to engage with us as much as you can on our website because, well, 
we can't block ourselves for no reason, but they can do that to us there. So note that that is our precaution. If we don't give you prior notification as to technical issues caused by anonymous sources, I'm pointing at myself, that will be where you are going to engage with us if we are taken down for things that we say that aren't approved of by our tech overlords. Note as well, if you want to not only join us in the broadcast regarding questions, prayer requests are also welcome. And speaking of which, we want to start off with a prayer to not only ask God to speak more than we do, as we say, but make sure that you all are given the spiritual equipment to hear us properly as well. So why don't we do that? Yeah, Lord, thank you that we can welcome your presence here. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our conversation, that we'd only answer the questions that you would have us to uh, explore on the broadcast. And, And that as we take a look at your word, I pray that those who are joining us would find themselves built up in their knowledge, their understanding of you, uh, more skilled and more equipped to be able to apply those principles and passages, even the practical examples in your word to their lives. And uh, Lord, that we would uh, really understand when it's all said and done that uh, any kind of growth in the grace and knowledge of you is a miracle where you intercede directly in our lives. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for your promise that you would guide us into all truth. We ask that this broadcast to be used for that purpose and nothing else and nothing less. We thank you for that priority that you have to build up your people in uh, your word and your spirit. May that happen in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. That is true. Now, we've received a few questions between when we last were engaging with you, and as well, the world kept spinning on. Things happened over the weekend as well. Uh, Questions, of course, pertaining to them from a biblical perspective. There was big surprise, another shooting. But this is, actually. And uh, I'm sure plenty more if we're not counting uh, Nigeria and ongoing Sharia conflicts, but that, albeit as it may. Well, here in the United States. Yeah, when we're talking about these issues, obviously people ask questions, some productive, others not so much. But in regards to a biblical question, unfortunately, one of the shooters in particular uh, explained what they were doing and why with a decidedly anti-Christian and anti-Jewish bent. And so the concern and the question on the broadcast to start off is, how do we not only properly process this, but respond to it? Yeah. uh, You know, again, Saturday afternoon, uh, for those of you not aware of this, an 18-year-old from upstate New York traveled to Buffalo and uh, live-streamed himself, uh, shooting several people, 10 of whom he killed uh, at a Topps-friendly market in a predominantly black neighborhood. Well, you know, again, the uh, the racist intent behind this particular uh, act uh, came up uh, uh, going into airtime. Uh, we have gotten word that there was a 180-page manifesto uh, that this individual uh, posted online uh, that was filled with racist and anti-Semitic motives uh, detailing how he planned to uh, go about the attack, including uh, doing an online search uh, for uh, the uh, most densely populated uh, with uh, African-American uh, individuals uh, place he could go and uh, do this attack. Well, as you can probably understand, uh, it was uh, really not much uh, longer after the uh, news broke that different individuals from different points of view attempted to seize upon this as an opportunity to further their own political ends. 
Uh, I'm not going to dignify uh, this fellow's name, but he was a very highly placed individual in uh, previous administrations uh, who said that this was an example of more blood on the hands of Tucker Carlson and Fox News. This killer used their racist talking points to justify killing 10 people. Carlson won't stop uh, because, he, as he explained in the New York Times, it's good for ratings. Lives be damned as Carlson will be at Judgment Day. Well, uh, this particular comment, uh, we can explore that a, a bit. Uh, I would not want to be this individual on Judgment Day in that uh, the, the Bible makes it very clear that as we judge other people, so we will be judged. And I don't know if I would want to have this particular person's standard applied to me uh, at Judgment Day, uh, the, the mercilessness of that kind of comment. Uh, the high-handed uh, uh, pseudo-spirituality surrounding it is uh, very difficult uh, to uh, to deal with here. Uh, immediately, the usual suspects came on and said that this was a right-wing extremist shooting. But the manifesto that this shooter uh, published seems to indicate the opposite of all of it. Uh, the uh, manifesto did publish a chart of Jewish people uh, that uh, were uh, labeled by him as troll Jews, including a number of people that worked for the Fox News channel. He went out of his way to detail a really bizarre uh, series of reasons why he rejected Christianity. He said that his particular political point of view was authoritarian left wing and uh, portrayed himself as a hybrid Nazi who advocated for green nationalism. So for those who are subjected to the daily propaganda, let's try to counter that information. Nazi is an acronym referring to the National Aryan Socialist Party in Nazi Germany in the midnight or uh, 20th century. Well, in his own words, he said, I would prefer to call myself a populist, but as you can, you can call me an ethno nationalist, eco fascist, national socialist, if you want. I want to disagree with you. Uh, he also uh, repeatedly attacked capitalists and rejected the conservative label because he wrote conservatism is corporatism in disguise. I want no part of it. And we saw the same thing happen years ago with another incident that took place in Sweden by the name of Anders Breivik, who was espoused as a Christian white right wing extremist, despite being himself an espoused Odinist and went on that extremist, uh, I guess, uh, shooting spree in order to get his political intentions popularized, none of which were right wing. So once again, we see again and again that this will be othered. If someone does something bad, how do we make it out to be something other than us? Because I don't do those sort of things. I don't believe those sort of things. Therefore, they must be in that evil other group in this sort of divisive mindset. But we want to focus on scripture. So when this man makes a rejection of Christianity and he's made out to be Christian, this is the first and most important thing we can encourage you all to do as Christians. Read. Make sure that your objections, your informations, and your accusations are always responded to with information rather than vitriol, which is becoming more and more the standard default measure of the world. Yeah, and, and it almost uh, kind of reemphasizes a point that we made in our last broadcast that uh, when we see uh, the amazing amount of information we get inundated with uh, on uh, the internet today and uh, on the various forms of media that are uh, you know readily available in our homes 
you know, I do think there's a prophetic angle to all of this in that uh, we need to understand that uh, there's an awful lot of things going on in this world that I believe are setting the stage for the rise of the last day's world-dominating dictator, the Antichrist. Now, After all, we had a blood moon last night, yeah, right? Yeah, well, we believe on it. I'm kidding. Uh, and uh, very strongly that uh, we as believers in Christ will not be here to see the rise of the Antichrist. In the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we are told the one who restrains him will do so until he is taken out of the way. It seems very clear from Scripture that that is the restraining work of the Holy Spirit using us as the church to be salt in this world and light in this world as Jesus defined our mission in Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. And the restraining passage is 2 Thessalonians 2 for those taking notes at home. Yeah, and also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, there is a, a real heavenly heads up in that Jesus said that uh, even leading up to the time of the rise of the Antichrist. There would be false Christs, and uh, because lawlessness has increased, most people's love would grow cold, and uh, that there would be individuals that would come and produce uh, false signs and wonders that, if possible, might deceive even the elect. And and so we as believers in Jesus need to uh, take a look at events like this with a decidedly open Bible. Uh, We need to have a consistent grid of God's truth as we process these things, because as we saw, uh, this was not just a tragic set of circumstances and loss of life, but individuals immediately jumped on this and began making theological claims, uh, theological indictments of other people whose opinions they do not share, including making declarations of damnation of individuals on the other side of the coin. Now, all of these things are spiritually deceptive, and we need to understand uh, the heavenly heads up that we get in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 about the coming of the lawless one. It, we are told that it is according to the working of Satan with all power signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe in the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now notice, Sean, what sets people up for rejection of the truth? Well, no love for it. Yeah, no love for it. And those who take pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, I'm going to be honest, guilty. All of us enjoy our sin. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. All of us pursue our sin. Otherwise, we wouldn't still be struggling with it. But what is the fine line between those who belong to God despite their sin and those who continue to sin because that's just what they do? Well, once again, I think it comes down to the struggle, doesn't it? Uh, We all struggle with sin for sure. But when we uh, join forces, in a sense, uh, with sin, when we promote it, for instance, uh, the uh, incredibly uh, disconcerting expressions of support for the pro-abortion position that we saw last week, uh, you know, the state of California uh, getting ready to pass a bill uh, through its House and Senate will probably be signed by the governor that will allow abortion all the way through the ninth month of pregnancy and including uh, perinatal Uh, abortions. That means that uh, an individual, even after having given birth, could uh, be within their uh, legal rights to deny sustenance, uh, 
child saving care to a uh, baby that has already been born to starve out and to ultimately and deliberately end the life of a born baby but yeah, because right. of the will of the mother and because of these propaganda talking points to willfully kill a child because the government says it's okay well and uh, our good friend jack hibbs has uh, exhorted us to pray for the state of california and this radical uh, point of view jack is the uh, pastor of calvary chapel chino hills in Southern California, and he also uh, made a clarion call that pastors in California believe the Bible uh, would uh, take their position that the book of Ezekiel speaking, speaks of, of being watchmen on the wall, that is, warning people about uh, the uh, sad state of affairs and the moral decay that is happening here. You know, I just find it, find it fascinating these days, and uh, I would encourage you in your personal Bible study uh, to start reading some of the writings of uh, what we call the minor prophets. They're called minor prophets because there's 12 of them. They are only minor in the sense that their uh, writings are short, not that uh, they are less important than, say, the major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Oh, yeah. Habakkuk is quoted almost more than Isaiah in the New Testament. Yeah. So, you know, I would really encourage you, if you really want to get a, a, a weather eye to what's going on uh, in our society, so many parallels uh, between the spiritual decay and, uh, and falling apart of things in Israel to what is going on in our day and age. And one other thing I just wanted to mention as far as a brief prophecy update is concerned, uh, saw a uh, really fascinating uh, article uh, that was uh, published on the, the uh, PJ Media uh, website uh, about, and it, it had this uh, kind of uh, catchy uh, 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 title uh, to it all about the war of zombie empires that is going on right now. Now, we're not talking about The Walking Dead or the 18 spinoffs or other movies that talk about uh, zombies showing up here. But by zombie empires, uh, what is being referred to here, a writer by the name of Richard Fernandez uh, talked about how the major superpowers in our day and what's going on in Ukraine and uh, Russia, uh, how China might be involved with that, the United States and the European Union, what we're discovering, uh, particularly interesting in uh, the uh, war in Ukraine, people ask, is there a prophetic uh, significance to it all? Uh, no, unless, of course, we take a look at the fact that this so-called superpower, Russia, who we were all brought up to think, oh, boy, you know, the Russians and their military, uh, you know, they're going to be rolling over Europe in, uh, in five minutes and so forth, uh, have been fought to a standstill. In Ukraine, uh, it just seems like it's a stalemate that is going on here, and uh, the the uh, billing of uh, the Russian uh, Federation as this 800-pound uh, military gorilla in that region is kind of being exposed as not being the case. Uh, the other interesting thing is this, China, which is also being billed as a major superpower and one that we all need to be afraid of, uh, you know, we begin to take a look at what's going on with them, we begin to understand that uh, China is undergoing uh, incredible upheaval in uh, their country today. Shanghai, China, which is probably the uh, lead uh, economic uh, city in China now, if you want to exclude Hong Kong from the the equation then completely shut down uh, by another bout of COVID. And when I mean shut down, people are not being allowed out of their homes on pain of death. Uh, individuals are, are starving to death inside their houses as a result of all of this. And uh, China seems to be uh, pretty much unable 
to be able to uh, rein in uh, these outbreaks of COVID, which is kind of fascinating since COVID essentially was uh, created in a lab in Wuhan, China. Uh, Everyone, so, do you hear that? So We the, just got kicked off YouTube. Continue. But uh, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, when we see these things happening, and even individuals like our own uh, National Institutes of Health and the CDC will acknowledge that this is where this happened, uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is we see China uh, in some pretty difficult straits themselves because of their one-child policy. China is looking at a dearth of young people rising up to take the place of the old. It is a gentrific, uh, a geriatric uh, kind of a nation in many ways. Uh, we think of them as uh, being the ones that are really powerful economically, and uh, boy, what an engine they've got here. But uh, we see uh, examples of the fact that a lot of uh, the so-called mega industries that China is bragging on are really, in a sense, almost ghost towns. Uh, they are uh, they are like uh, uh, movie sets. Uh, they, they really don't uh, have the economic heft behind them that we think of. Here And so when they talk about zombie empires, we're talking about China, we're talking about Russia, and we're also talking about the United States, because uh, really economically, uh, we are in a place where if we got involved with a protracted war, uh, we really wouldn't have the financial wherewithal to be able to hold up under that. Now, the reason I mention this prophetically, and I think it's so fascinating, is that people will say, well, you know, how in the world could the Antichrist possibly take over and dominate the entire world when you have powers like china you have powers like russia you have powers like the united states well when we begin to understand that the entire economic house of cards that uh, these uh, so-called superpowers represent could collapse uh, in a new york minute uh, i do believe that we are seeing the stage set for these various economic uh, superpowers military superpowers uh, to finally, uh, you know, acknowledge maybe behind closed doors, we really aren't all that in a bag of chips. We really need to have someone come in and be able to save our bacon because the whole system is about to collapse. Well, if we're teetering towards the brink of uh, the major superpowers, if you will, like Russia, like China, like the United States, not being able to deliver the goods, could you imagine the tipping point that is going to happen when the rapture of the church takes place, when you suddenly have, uh, say, you know, for instance, we've talked about this. Uh, the Barna organization has estimated that there are some 54 million professing evangelical Bible-believing Christians in the United States. We'll say Barna, for sake of argument, is half right on that estimate. Could you imagine what would happen in the United States militarily, economically, governmentally, if suddenly you have uh, 24, 27 million people suddenly vanish? Uh, almost 3,000 people lost their lives on 9-11. It took our economy three years to recover from all of that. Could you imagine what would happen globally if something like that happened? In China, uh, believe it or not, there are more evangelical Christians in China than there are in the United States. What would happen to them? You know, again, Europe, some of these other places might be less impacted, but impacted they will be because the economies uh, of the world are so interdependent. I believe that if the rapture of the church happens, you're going to see that these zombie empires, as they're called, literally they're walking dead, if you will, kind of like the Ottoman Empire was before World War I and such. Uh, great reputation, certainly feared, but uh, the German Empire uh, discovered that by linking up with the Ottoman Empire, the Ottoman Empire, when the going uh, got tough, 
completely and totally collapsed. Uh, I think we're seeing the stage being set for those very same sort of things. And, you know, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 21, Jesus speaking there, that when you see these things begin to happen, look up for your salvation draws near. I love uh, not the fact that we see this world falling to pieces, but I love the fact that God has given to us as believers wisdom and insight to be able to make sense of these things so that we're not caught up in the hysteria. We're not caught up in the hype. Uh, We aren't putting our faith and our trust in uh, earthly governments and the powers that be, uh, we are putting our faith and trust in the fact that we serve the great King, our Lord Jesus Christ. I love uh, what Psalm 33 says about this. It's such a beautiful statement. It says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect, but the counsel of the Lord endures forever. And the plans of his heart are to all generations. Uh, you know, we have a strong and secure hope as believers in Jesus because the Lord understands these things. I, I love what Psalm 2 says about this. Uh, why do the nations rage? The people's plot a vain thing. They gather together. They think they can take on the Lord and his Messiah. It says the Lord in heaven laughs at this. And so because we know the Lord, because we are comforted by his promises, because we know that God sees the end from the beginning, even though uh, the Bible tells us that these chaotic things are going to happen, uh, we don't have to uh, use this as an opportunity for fear to run the show, but rather faith and confidence in the promises of God and uh, a very practical response to all of this, uh, rather than getting caught up in all of the hysteria, we can redouble our efforts to share the good news of Jesus as we have the opportunity before the Lord returns. That is uh, what the Bible means by occupying, not getting into internet uh, debates about with people whose theological persuasions you might disagree with. Uh, Boy, you know, it's important for us to have our convictions. It's important for us to be teaching God's word. It's important for us to be loving one another and building one another up. But that teaching of the word and that loving one another and building one another up has to have a end to it. And the end to it is to equip us to be more about the business of shining with the light of God in these dark, dark times and be able to give a reason for the hope that is within us, to be able to tell people as God provides us opportunity that Jesus loves them, that he being God became a man and walked among us in the, 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 the person of Christ that we can take a look at the eyewitness accounts of his life, his death, and his resurrection and discover that Jesus died for us personally on the cross and he rose from the dead in a moment of history so that we can be saved from this wicked world. What a wonderful message we have to share. And I would just really encourage and exhort you out there. I was having a great conversation uh, with a young man after church today. He was talking about uh, you know, oh, you know, I'd like to share my faith more, but I get so nervous about it. The, the thing I said is, first of all, uh, you know, sharing our faith shouldn't be a fearful thing. Uh, and, and here's how you take the fear out of it. Pray before your day gets going. Lord, if you want me to share your word with somebody, you open the doors for me to be able to do it. Bring a non-Christian across my path and, uh, you know, have them ask a question. Have have a, a very natural and, and a very non-threatening conversation come my way if, if that's where you're coming from. And then just simply tell them 
what Jesus has done in your life. I love that passage that we studied in Revelation chapter 12, that they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Boy, tell people that God loves them. Tell people the difference that the love of God has made within your life. And one thing that I encourage this young man to do to sort of take the edge off this is, you know, even if you're dealing with a non-Christian, a couple things. First of all, don't deal with them like they're a non-Christian. You know, like, oh, I've got all the answers and you're kind of lost and, and so on. Uh, deal with them in this way. Just talk to them. Just relate to them like they were a believer. You know, I mean, you know, just share with them what God has been doing uh, in your life. And, and don't be afraid to talk to them just as if they knew the Lord. And if they start asking you questions or things like that, then then use those opportunities to winsomely and lovingly answer those questions. If we're not freaked out about talking about Jesus, chances are the people that we're talking to are not going to be freaked out about talking about Jesus. But here's the other thing, and and boy, my wife and I have found this is such a powerful tool, is if you're talking with a non-believer and, you know, the conversation is going on and they share with you maybe some area in life that uh, they're having a hard time and who isn't having a hard time with life these days, uh, you know, here's what you do. Just say to them, hey, can I pray with you about that? You know, if you're not Christian, you'll probably go, whoa, man, I've never been prayed for before. What an exciting, exciting thing it is just to pray for somebody and and allow the Lord uh, to allow you to demonstrate that uh, what we have in Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship with God. Talk to the Lord. Talk to him about it. Talk about God's love to them. And uh, boy, I think you're going to find by looking for those opportunities to pray for people, not just your brothers and sisters in Christ, although that's important, but non-believers, praying for non-believers. I found that is just a powerful evangelistic tool and one that we, we really need to be uh, utilizing in these crazy days we live in. Yep. So with yeah. all of that said, we want to spend the rest of the time going out to your questions. Feel free to, again, leave them for us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. Our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, or Facebook is Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. YouTube, uh, well, we'll see. Um, I guess we'll take while we can. Got a question from Holly there who wants to know if you, uh, they've been told if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, <laughs> you experience the supernatural. Or you hear the voice of God clear in your head. Now, this is where the thinker box goes in. Is this true? (laughs) You can be told things about God, but she wants to double check. Is this true or is this just an opinion? Because she says, I don't think I've heard from him very often. Yeah, Holly, you're going to find this is a very common feature among the bizarre and uh, beguiled family known as the Bride of Christ. When we have experiences, feelings, or even fantasies about how we should relate to God, it's amazing how those things are elevated higher than Scripture. The reality is God can talk to us generally as far as what we have documentation for four ways. The first of which that you mentioned is one legitimate way. The most direct example, of course, would be in the book of First Samuel, chapter 3, where little Samuel, the last judge yeah. of Israel and uh, first yeah. major prophet, was uh, basically just sleeping. And yeah. he heard a voice, notice, a voice, audibly, and it said, Samuel. He thought it was his mentor and his uh, essentially foster father, in a sense, Eli, uh, calling him from the other room. So it was an audible exchange. He went in and said, you called me. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. This exchange happened a few more times. Eli, despite being a poor spiritual specimen, knew enough to say, if you hear it again, 
say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Yeah. So he did, and then, ironically enough, the audible conversation that followed afterwards was all about Eli's dirty laundry. But uh, with all that being said, that is a legitimate example, a legitimate way God can speak. But is it the only way? And notice as well, is it the most common way? The answer is no. Right. We have other examples in the book of Jeremiah where, for instance, he was spoken to God through circumstances. Now, how did that happen? by verifying it according to what he had already been told about God in his word and what he knew going forward prophetically about God. What do I mean? Well, he was told that he was supposed to renew a piece of family property, that despite the fact that Babylon was going to invade, that uh, their lease renewal was on the table, and he was the only one in the family who could sign for it. Now, it would be strange for a guy who had spent the last couple decades of his life telling people, we're all going to be evicted, to suddenly start redecorating his apartment. But, of course, he realized, wait a minute. I was also prophesying that we're going to be brought back to the land after 70. I get it now. This is another. So he verified circumstances in light of scripture. That's another way that God can speak. And that's why knowing scripture is important when we say hearing God's voice, not just audibly, but also circumstantially. Not saying, ooh, what's God doing? Uh, Oh, man, that water bottle fell over. God's speaking to me. I should hydrate. That's a good thing, but I don't think God was speaking. Yeah, we're pro hydration here, but but yeah. uh, I don't <laughs> think that's supernatural. If you want to go hyper Calvinist on it and say everything's preordained, okay, have fun. But that would be the second way. The third way would, of course, be obviously through um, through um, intermediaries, through prophets or apostles in certain cases. We have a lot of that written down in his word, and that is a way that God can speak to you directly, of yeah. course, through the letters that he's already written. God's speaking to me. Well, how do you say that with the Bible? Do you like read it and then you start hearing voices like a radio talking to God, like in Raiders of the Lost Ark? No, it's what God has said. And if you take that personally and properly, God is literally speaking to you in the same way that if you wrote a comment section and I read it off of the computer screen, you are talking to me. I'm hearing the words of Holly. Holly is speaking to me, even right. though it is just literally text on the screen. Yeah. So note that point as well. It's through his word, verifying circumstances through his word. He can speak audibly, but not only. And the fourth and most direct is through prayer. We can see that, of course, as a two-way street, but you have to ask, where is the audible? Where is the circumstantial? Where is the uh, intermediaries where people interrupt you while you pray and so forth? Well, understand, Holly, it's the whole point of communication is that it's a constant and two-way street. Prayer isn't just talking to God, but like us talking to you, we're acknowledging and are aware of your presence. And if God's able to direct you emotionally, If he's able to direct you circumstantially, he's able to direct you practically, and he's able to direct you audibly, this is what prayer sets you up for, is that force set emotionally. Can I align my heart and my character, my intents, my desires, my perspective with God's by seeking out communication and fellowship with him. Right. Because when, say, for example, I fall into a major area of sin, I may not hear an audible voice saying, you need to repent. Someone might not break into my house and said, God just told me to tell you to repent. I wouldn't uh, necessarily see an eviction notice and all the first letters in every sentence let out this codified message of repent. But I could say, eh. 
think I ought to get this taken care of before my fellowship with God's damaged even more. That is a way, again, God can speak to you. But note, it's not always the case. Just like with the circumstances, it's verified according to his word. If I feel I'm not saved, I can counter that deception with, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If I think I am okay because I'm basically a good person and I'll go to heaven because God knows I'm sincere, I can also verify that deception by saying no one comes to the Father except through me not through you and your weird perception of yourself. So again, just to recap, he can speak to our emotions as a result of, not in light of, our fellowship with him through prayer. He can speak through circumstances, if likewise verified according to his word. He can speak to us through his word directly in the same way that we speak to each other through messages and writing. And of course, he can speak to us audibly. But if you say, well, I am a superior Christian, or I'm more saved than you because I've heard audible voices, well, that would be no more significant than if you had heard through his word, through your heart, through your circumstances. Yeah. It's yeah. still hearing from the same source. Yeah, and, and God is a supernatural God. He's a God of miracles. There's no doubt about it. And God can and does speak to his people. But the key word here, I think, and I think you've done a great job of pointing this out, Sean, is, okay, God can speak to us in a number of ways. But here's the crucial question. Has God spoken in these sets of circumstances? You know, people will say, well, I had this impression, you know, and I thought the Lord was leading me. I remember I was doing a, uh, a visitation at uh, the, minim- the, the minimum security prison here in Tucson. Uh, and I was talking to a guy who was doing time for armed robbery. And he told me, I said, well, how did you get in here? And he goes, well, you know, I'm really confused. I'm glad you're a pastor here because I thought I was doing the will of God. And I go, what do you mean? Well, I was praying. I was real financial situation. And God, you know, really laid on my heart. I needed to go rob that bank. I kid you not. And, and I said, well, what part of thou shalt not steal did you not understand? You know, and, and here's the illustration. When we pray... God can and does sometimes speak to us through impressions, through, through what has been called the still small voice in the back of my mind. God certainly can do that. God can, in certain circumstances, speak audibly to people. I, I think he reserves that for pretty serious stuff. You know, do you want God to speak to you audibly? Why is he speaking to you audibly? Uh, because, because you ignored the other things he's been trying to say to you. Well, or because something really major is going to happen. Can God speak to you through a supernatural word of prophecy? Well, he certainly has in my life. Uh, you know, one of the most dramatic examples of someone giving to me a prophetic word uh, was a, a word of prophecy that was just overwhelmingly supernatural. We don't really have time to go in. If you want to discuss it more, we can. But it really kind of came down to my being in a quandary Uh, when I was dating my wife, Pam, as to whether I could really trust anybody again after the relational, the nuclear uh, uh, explosion that had happened in my life prior to meeting her. And uh, it was the Lord intervening. Now, some people say, oh, man, I wish I could have a word of prophecy like that. Be really careful, uh, because I think the reason that God intervened so supernaturally in my life was because I was so thick-headed, I was about to miss out on one of his great blessings. But here's the deal. God can bring someone into your life with a prophetic word or a word of wisdom or knowledge. He can do that. God can speak to your heart while you're praying. Uh, You know, if uh, someone says, you know, well, I I heard God's voice. Well, God can do that. But the big question is, has God done that? How do you know? How can you tell for sure? Well, I sure love what Isaiah 8 says 
uh, about this because there's all kinds of people that want to have a supernatural experience. And that was true in Israel in that day. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 19, uh, we are told, And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. So people can have impressions. People can come up to you and they say, oh, you know, I believe God has laid something in my heart to share with you. Uh, and I've had it happen a number of times where it was just off biblically, where it just didn't line up with scripture at all. Lined up uh, with their personalities, yeah, their, their, but not their personalities. His. Uh, you know, I had a 75 year old woman tell me that God told her we were supposed to be married. And, and, you know, the response I had was, well, you know, I think, um, the Lord says that the man is supposed to be the spiritual leader in the relationship. And if he was uh, saying something like that, he was spoken to me first. And she just kind of looked at me, you're going to get like all biblical on me. Yes. And, and we need to get all biblical on these sort of things, whether it's an impression in our heart, whether it's someone coming to us with a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge and wisdom, whether it's uh, some, you know, impression that we have, or maybe even thinking that God has spoken to us audibly, check it out according to God's word, because God will never speak in a supernatural way that is in any way contradictory to his word. And, you know, when I talk about that mega word of prophecy that I received, uh, you know, the funny thing afterwards, you know, I thought, you know, there was nothing in that word of prophecy that I could not have figured out just by reading my Bible. But sometimes God has to interrupt us and point us in a direction uh, not because we're super spiritual and boy, you know, you've achieved this place where God's going to give you a word of prophecy, but because the Lord's going, this, uh, this guy is going to miss out on the greatest blessing I want to give him in life unless we intervene here. So it's not really what I would call a compliment sometimes, but, but you're, you always have to check things out according to the word. And if any ministry or any person in a ministry says, no, you don't have to check it out according to the word. You just have to believe in faith that what I'm telling you is true run don't walk out of there because that's not of god god will always 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 speak according to his word and uh he's going to verify those things what prophecy and words of wisdom and knowledge miraculous interventions do holly is it personalizes those truths for us it takes those truths and applies them directly to our lives in very powerful ways and and so uh you know you uh, again evaluate those things don't despise prophecies we're told in first thessalonians 5 but what test all things and hold fast to what is good right how do we test it what we've already been given right the word of god the word of god the word of god yep all right here's a good question from casey who wants to know how can we as christians be sure we will be reunited with our loved ones who are in heaven I know our relationships with people on earth matter, but does that continue in heaven? You give the example of King David, but does that mean that he has the same hope? Here's what I love. I want it to be true, but that doesn't make it true. Good heavens, you guys are all smart today. I think knowing the truth would be helpful for some people I care about who don't think they will know their loved ones in heaven. Well, God bless you, Casey. I'm glad you're trying to be discerning about this. When it comes to our understanding of what heaven will be like compared to other materialistic or carnally motivated religions, they couldn't 
be clear about all the things that await you in heaven right. because they need to motivate and incentivize you. Christianity, it's a lot different. When it comes to what we're told about heaven, maybe three or four chapters we could note in total, and not a lot of it is experiential or relevant to us. It's more just describing the main focus of heaven, and that is, of course, what you defined heaven as with Jesus. When we're told the sort of things that are waiting for us there, specifically regarding truth statements, we could conclude, because note, it's not going to have this exhaustive list of your loved ones that are or aren't in heaven. So we don't have that direct list in the Bible. But we can know certain things about the Bible and about how you go to heaven that would give us a more informed conclusion about what these things ultimately should be understood as. Obviously, the first one we go to about is my loved one in heaven or not they're in the hands of a just and merciful god a god who will do all things well we cite it always in the book of genesis genesis eighteen twenty five. will not the judge of all the earth do what is right i can't tell you how many times i've shared that at memorials for people who are kind of questionable so that's yeah. where you want to start, Casey. If you're talking to someone who's in that question mark in eternity, not a place you want to be, but you default to the character of God. Now, as far as loved ones in heaven and saying, oh, well, you know, our priorities will be reshuffled. I know they're with the Lord, but will they even care about me anymore? Is there a purpose, like you said in your question, to relationships that go on in heaven? Well, I guess the counter argument would be, are there any purpose for relationships here? Because our purpose on this earth is to get right with him, get ready for the next life. Why then does God bring meaningful relationships with not just people, but animals yeah. <laughs> into our lives. Yeah. And there is a purpose for that. So I don't think that'd be eliminated in heaven, not because it doesn't make sense to me, but because scripture. And here's why. In John chapter 11, the famous Lazarus incident, Jesus specifically speaking to a person about a loved one and their family, yeah. her older brother, yeah, great and, br- and bringing yeah. this ultimately into perspective says, your brother will rise again. Now notice you remember that's followed by bringing the attention back to Jesus. But why would our Lord remind Martha anything about her brother if the heavenly mindset isn't about any other relationship than him? And this is the point. Let me read the passage. Verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again at the re- in the resurrection at the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, notice, she didn't stop caring about Lazarus at that point. Right. Her love for Lazarus was contextualized in the reality of who Jesus was. In this case, the resurrection. What would reunite her with Lazarus again? That would that relationship wouldn't be undone, but further and forever codified. So noting then that purpose, that would be the second thing. Not just is God a good judge, but is God capable of fixing this whole death problem? Or is this death problem ultimately separating us from each other forever? Is it reuniting us to Jesus and those things are just kind of bumps on the road along the way? No. The fact that we love anybody is because we see aspects of Jesus in them. But the fact that they would then cease to have any association with us, that's like saying if we go to heaven, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with us anymore because our purpose in getting to him has been fulfilled. Now that relationship continues. So I think it's reasonable to say others would as well. The third one, and this one is one that was especially relevant at uh, your wife, my mother's uh, memorial for her mother, 
if I can keep track of that right, our Grammy. Yeah. Uh, when obviously this was a very spiritually significant, meaningful, and loving figure in all of our lives, and just regardless of the fact it was a very Lazarus-like scenario, no one's <laughs> questioning where Grammy is right now. It was still hard to have even a momentary separation. And when we had the opportunity to speak at that memorial, what was drawn up was the same thing Levi Lusco observed when speaking on the death yeah. of his five-year-old yeah. daughter, oh, yeah. Lenya. Yeah. Yeah. Not uh, emotionally neutral. His whole perspective and tying into what you were talking about, Casey, about David's son, but also an important truth we need to keep in mind about heaven in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, and notice this is... Second Corinthians, yeah. thank you. This doesn't seem like an encouraging passage. Note the follow-through. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are all, uh, but we are well known to God, and I trust are well known in your consciences. Now, when that is put into perspective, that we're all, all of us, standing before the judgment seat of Christ, where does that ultimately put us? I want to make sure the last three verses are clear before we go into the first five. This is in Second uh, Corinthians, there we go, chapter 5, and let's start in verse 1 so that you understand why Paul brought up ultimate judgment before Jesus. We're all going to Jesus. Is it because, well, we better do right or good? No, that's going to be a natural offshoot from this. Verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, a temporary living place, is destroyed... We have a building from God, a permanent dwelling place, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. This is in reference to a heavenly body. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. This is building on this point in the last book, 1 Corinthians 15, that immortality may be swallowed up by life, or mortality rather. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now notice, that verse, this is again 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, is sandwiched between two realities. We want to be with Jesus. We understand being with Jesus is a final and a serious event. But we want that. Why? To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Because we want the resurrection body. What gives us any guarantee of the resurrection body? The spirit given to us as a guarantee. Where will we get that heavenly body? When we stand before Christ in judgment. This is the sobering but the necessary balance that every Christian looks at life in and through. And that's what? If I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. If I eliminate the first seven verses, what do I get? I'm just going to commit suicide. I want to be with Jesus. We eliminate the last three verses that come after chapter or verse eight of chapter five. Then we get the mindset of, so why does anything that I do matter? If I'm going to be with Jesus, then I may as well make the most of this life now. But what was the key? What was the most important feature of any Christian experience, any Christian ethic, any Christian perspective, even any Christian emotional reaction, especially in grief? It's what? There with 
Jesus. Right. I'm with Jesus, not in a direct physical sense, but through the Spirit, I am connected to them in more ways than I give myself credit for. Right. Not visually anymore, but this is where the loved one connection comes in. I have the Spirit. They have the Spirit. They're with Jesus. I'm waiting to be with Jesus. What's the one thing that connects us both? The Spirit he has given us as a guarantee. So verses 6 through 7 tie into that key principle. If I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. That's a comfort, but also a caution because of the last three verses. The first seven verses are also key because it gives me incentive to want to live this life in a way where I have hope, not uh, hazardous right. as far as how I view everyone or everything around me. So again, just starting from the beginning, Genesis 18. Is God going to do what's right? Yeah. That's a given. John chapter 11. What's that takeaway? Jesus isn't uninterested in the ongoing relationships we have in this life. Right. And just like we deal with when regarding pets in heaven and so forth, there's a purpose to those things in pointing us to him, not to eliminate, but to fulfill. Yeah. And that's where the fulfillment in life comes in. If that ongoing reality is with the Lord, then the same thing that makes them with the Lord is the same thing I'm enjoying with them right now. Yeah. The only difference is time and visuals. Yeah. So yeah. that's how I deal with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that's an excellent answer. The only thing I'd add to that, Casey, and maybe this will help you because it, it certainly has helped me, uh, is something that our good friend Don Stewart uh, often says. Uh, you know, we, we ask the question, are we going to know our loved ones in heaven? Uh, he makes the statement, well, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, when I get to heaven, I am not going to be dumber than I am here, right? Right. I'm going to really be able to know and understand things. In, in the same way, when we get to heaven, uh, are we going to be less or more capable of receiving and relating love than we are here? Uh, obviously, we're going to be able to reflect God's ultimate priority, and that's love within our lives. You know, it's really interesting. You know, you mentioned Lazarus. Uh, another way, I guess, of confirming this is uh, in Luke chapter 16, there's the account of the rich man and Lazarus, where they both end up going to their, uh, well, I wouldn't say their final destination, but they, they both die and leave this life. Well, it's interesting that the rich man, uh, although he is separated from God because he didn't want to have a relationship with him, uh, begs Abraham, to send Lazarus back so that he could warn his brothers about this place of torment. So here you see a guy who rejected a relationship with God, who is confirmed in his fallen sinful nature, and he still cares about his relationships. It only stands to reason then that if a fallen guy on the other side is going to be concerned about relationships, that we who are saved by God and glorified are also going to care about relationships. And I, I just add uh, what Paul said uh, to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and uh, verse 19. He was talking about how much he wanted to go and visit them, but uh, circumstances and even the wicked one uh, got in the way of all of that. He said this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? It is not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, for you are our glory and joy. In other words, what Paul was saying to the Thessalonian church is, man, when we're there in heaven, you're going to be our glory and joy. Uh, so I, I don't think we see any hint here that we're not going to know people, not going to care about people. Uh, in fact, uh, our, our care for people is just going to be raised to the nth degree. 
So let us know if that helps you out. And uh, another uh, example as well was uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, where despite never having met Moses or Elijah, Peter was able to identify them. That's another yeah. text. but No it's, name tags. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's... Um, I guess not necessarily a, a proof text, but definitely a confirmation of the true principles that we verify. Yeah, already. people don't lose their personalities when they get to heaven. No, in fact, almost amplified. Yeah. Uh, there's a few more questions. We got two minutes uh, that we were going to get to that you mentioned before the broadcast. Can we get to those before we have to sign off? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think uh, a really interesting question uh, was asked earlier, uh, and it kind of dovetails with our question about heaven. I was uh, asked this at church yesterday. A guy came up to me and he goes, you know, Pastor Scott, I really enjoy hunting, but in heaven, there's going to be no more death. What's going to happen to my joy in hunting? Nerf guns. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it kind of, you know, it was interesting conversation we had because it dovetails with a question that's near and dear to uh, those of us who are Calvary pastors. Speaking of which, shout out to Joseph Gross in Silver City checking in here today. Uh, by the way, follow Joseph Gross on uh, his Facebook feed. He's got great posts that are up there. I think I'll really encourage you. We just love Joseph and uh, he's just uh, just a great guy and uh, amazing sense of humor. Uh, so, uh, you know, when uh, you know, we, we talk about this whole idea uh, about uh, going to heaven, well, Calvary pastors, man, uh, I, I think it's sort of, uh, uh, I, I don't know if it's in the fine print, but it almost seemed like at least at the beginning, you had to have surfed in order to be a Calvary pastor. And uh, one of the things that you read in the book of Revelation is that in the new heavens and the earth, there's no more sea. So people are like, all surfed out and surf heads and they love surfing and they go, there's no more sea. You know, am I going to like heaven because there's no more ocean there? And, and the obvious answer to that is in God's presence, Psalm 16 and verse 10 says is fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Why do we like surfing? Well, because it gets you connected in a sense with God's creation on a level that you really can't experience anywhere else. Well, in heaven, we're going to have that connection. Right. And more um, so, you know, uh, you know, as far as hunting goes, what is the, the purpose of hunting? Well, hunting is a purposeful activity. You want to accomplish something. You want to achieve something when you hunt. Is heaven going to be full of purposeful activity? Yeah. Yeah. I share with this guy, C.S. Lewis's famous thing about little kids making mud pies in their backyard. And their dad says, hey, guess what? We're going on a trip to the seashore. And they cry because they think their dad's taking them away from the mud pies. But once they get to the seashore, they forget all about the mud pies because the seashore is so much better. Heaven's going to work the same way. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.